Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In their first game since World Cup qualified, the U.S. men's national team had a tough test. It was a friendly matchup against Morocco, one of the best teams in Africa throughout World Cup qualifying. The U.S. went out there and they absolutely wiped the floor with the North Africans. My goodness, it was a mauling three to nothing. A number of phenomenal chances, just really good things to talk about across the board. But today, what we're going to do is go over, I think, five keys to victory. And more importantly, these are five things that I think upon first watch, I didn't really notice. Uh, and maybe had different opinions about, but after watching the game a few times subsequently, uh, ultimately I saw these things as, as really important keys, uh, things that really didn't jump out to me right away, and things that I'm really excited about moving forward. Uh, five really tactical keys to victory for the U.S., all that and more on this episode of the Yank Report. What's up? My name is Sam. This is the Yank Report, the show where we talk about the U.S. men's national team, a squad that is destined for greatness, just ran over Morocco, coming to Qatar, going to take over. If you want to jump on the train, now's the time. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Thank you all for helping us cross that 10,000 subscriber mark. That was a big goal whenever I started the channel. So cool to see it jump over from 9999 to 10,000. I was sitting there like watching the odometer on a car rollover last night. Really cool moment. Thank you guys for that. We're going to start out with a guy who I think I maligned a little bit in my pregame show, and I'm here to apologize. But first, we got a word from today's sponsor. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including the latest odds on the NBA playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And don't forget that the MLB is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to join or use our promo code BELIEVE. That's B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Reggie Cannon, Reginald Jacob Cannon. That is a unbelievably strong name and it matches a man who had an unbelievably strong performance last night. And I think when it comes to Reggie Cannon, it wasn't just about the way that he played on the field because I know there's things we can nitpick, nitpick about his game, but Tactically, it was the role that he played that really served as the keystone for everything that the U.S. did last night. Uh, he was the he was the the centerpiece uh, for a really really nice tactical job uh, by Greg Berhalter and the boys. And what ended up happening is uh, the U.S. came out in two different formations. In defense, they had that traditional four three three that we've seen throughout World Cup qualifying, but. In possession, the U.S. shifted to what Greg Berhalter referred to as a 3-2-2-3. And I know Greg, throughout the uh, build-up to this friendly, discussed potentially moving to a three-man back line. Uh, But I think we were expecting more of like a traditional three-man back line with three guys who we considered center backs. And that's not really what we got. We got Reggie Cannon, who, for his club team Boa Vista, and by the way, every time I say Boa Vista, I feel like I'm Sean Connery trying to pronounce Boa Vista, Boa Vista. And I'm at your service. So with his club team Boa Vista, Reggie Cannon has been playing a uh, a center back, a right-sided center back in a three-man back line, very similar to what Aspilicueta plays for uh, Chelsea. Sometimes Reese James plays that same role. But anyway, last night for the U.S. Men's National Team, Reggie Cannon would drop back uh, whenever the U.S. was in build-up, whenever the U.S. was in attack, and it opened up so many interesting things for the U.S. If you look at the field uh, at, at sort of like the wide tactical map, you could see that the back line for the U.S. 
was Reggie Cannon, Walker Zimmerman, and Aaron Long. And then in front of them, often you'd find uh, Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa. And then in front of them, you would find this line of, of Christian Pulisic uh, and, and Brendan Aronson in the middle. And then out wide, you would have Tim Weah occupying sort of a right wing back role. And then Anthony Robinson on the reverse side occupying that right wing back role with Jesus Ferreira up top. Now, this three-man back line was huge for the U.S. for a number of reasons. And uh, I think, first of all, shout out to Reggie Cannon for his positional versatility. But I think some other key points here uh, is what it allowed the U.S. to do last night and what it could potentially allow the U.S. to do moving forward. Uh, I think one of the big question marks coming in to World Cup qualifiers was sort of that that uh, fullback position. Uh, who's going to be the, the right fullback backup behind uh, Serginho Dest? Who's going to be the left fullback backup behind Anthony Robinson? With this tactical wrinkle, it opens up a lot of interesting possibilities for the U.S. Uh, first of all, if Serginho Dest is missing from a game, this is a really great way that we can utilize Reggie Cannon in a way that best suits his needs and allows the team to uh, not miss a beat offensively. Uh, the second thing is, should Serginho Dest return, it opens up a lot of different possibilities for the U.S. First of all, Serginho Dest could occupy the role that Reggie Cannon played last night. Uh, while Serginho Dest might not be um, as solid defensively as Reggie Cannon is at this moment in time, uh, Serginho Dest is certainly a savant whenever it comes to the buildup. Uh, and, and his ability back there can really open a lot of doors and potentially be even that much more dynamic for the U.S. in the buildup. Uh, conversely, Serginho Dest could also potentially play further up the field. He could essentially occupy that right back role that, uh, or that right wing back role that Tim Weah was occupying last night. You could have one of the midfielders drop back into that back three. Uh, and what that would do is kind of take some defensive responsibility off of uh, Serginho Dest, allow him to do what he does best which is uh, operate in the attack uh, and allow for a solid defensive shape for the U.S., uh, which is an interesting option as well. And third, and I think most intriguingly, is you could potentially, using this role, allow Reggie Cannon to start in that right-back position and then let Serginho Dest play that left-back role, essentially a left-wing-back role, where he doesn't have much defensive responsibility at all. And suddenly on that left flank, you have Serginho Dest and Christian Pulisic, which we've seen in the past could be a potentially dynamic duo. I mean, two of the best players in the entire pool on the ball uh, operating on the same flank could be a very dangerous thing for uh, the opposition. And it's a really interesting thing uh, that opens up a lot of different positional opportunities, uh, all from this one move bringing back Reggie Cannon into that three-man back line. Uh, so I, I'm really excited about the possibilities here. Now, I mentioned earlier that the three-man back line opened up a lot of opportunities, not just for the back line, but for things happening further up the field. And I think that the real master stroke in this game was the positioning of Brennan Aronson and what he was able to bring to the game. The big question before the game was how was Brennan Aronson going to operate in that midfield? We saw him against El Salvador in the first game against World Cup qualifying, and he really got overrun. Uh, but we've seen him play pretty well as an attacking midfielder for RB Salzburg throughout the season. Uh, so I was optimistic. Now, what we got was something really interesting. Now, because of the shape, because of the dynamic shape, the changing shape of the U.S. men's national team, whenever the U.S. was in defense, Brennan Aronson was one of the three men in that midfield uh, and allowed him to be absolutely relentless in his pressing, very aggressive, and to just really go after the game. And we did see a few opportunities that were created through Brennan Aronson's pressure. Brennan Aronson's press and, and the press of the 
entire U.S. men's national team throughout the night really gave Morocco a lot of problems, particularly in that opening five minutes where Morocco just looked overwhelmed throughout that game. In fact, I would say a lot of the game opening up later on for the U.S. was just because the U.S. put them in an absolute pressure grinder and just ground them down into the dust. By the time the 60th minute came around, uh, Morocco looked absolutely shell-shocked. But uh, whenever it comes to Brendan Aronson, the really interesting thing that we saw is that whenever the U.S. had the ball, instead of being kind of stuck in the midfield, what we saw was uh, Tim Weah would move out to a right wingback position and, and Brendan Aronson would become sort of that pocket 10, sort of that inside playmaker opposite Christian Pulisic. Uh, and what we saw throughout the night was that that four-man line of Anthony Robinson and Tim Weah providing the width on the wings and Brendan Aronson and Christian Pulisic uh, playing in the slots uh, in that kind of 10 role uh, created a lot of problems for Morocco. Throughout the night, Christian Pulisic and Brendan Aronson would both drop into the midfield, pick up the ball, turn, look up field, take players on, run at the defense, and it created so many problems. While in the past we've seen a U.S. men's national team really struggle to build from the back to get the ball from the defensive third to the final third, uh, last night against Morocco, uh, with Brendan Aronson and Christian Pulisic just able to drop into these pockets of space that were created through uh, the, the, the tactics and the formation, uh, the U.S. was able to move the ball seemingly at will. And as Christian Pulisic and Brendan Aronson were able to find these spaces and and pick up these balls and Morocco kind of move things around to try to cover them, more spaces for other players opened up, and suddenly the U.S. was just springing attacks right and left. Uh, It was a really interesting tactical wrinkle, and what that does moving forward is it opens up more options for the U.S. men's national team. I know one big thing that uh, a lot of folks talk about with this national team moving forward is potentially seeing Gio Reyna in the midfield, and I've always said that uh, I'm into seeing Gio Reyna in the midfield, but I don't want to see him play the midfield like we see Wes McKinney and Eunice Musa play where they're more reserved further back and they're covering for some of the fullbacks who are getting forward. Last night, we saw a wrinkle where an attacking or, or a midfielder for the U.S. was able to operate um, without a lot of defensive responsibility uh, whenever the U.S. had the ball. Uh, Brendan Aronson was able to get forward. He's able to operate in that pocket of space like a 10. And for my money, if you put Brennan, uh, if you put Gio Reyna in that space that Brendan Aronson was playing last night, he would have a tremendous amount of success. It looked exactly like the role that you would want to see Gio Reyna in moving forward. So just like the Reggie Cannon being in that role and seeing it work so well tactically opens up a lot of options in the fullbacks, I think Brennan Aronson showing what he can do in that role and how effective that role can be for him opens up a lot of possibilities uh, in that winger position as well with both uh, Christian Pulisic, uh, Brennan Aronson, and Gio Reyna all being able to occupy that role pretty successfully. Now the next person I want to talk about, and this might be a reach, I understand this, but it is Jesus Ferreira. After the game, I was kind of down on Jesus Ferreira. I thought he had an all right game. I wish he would have scored that goal. But after the game, and this is how it tends to work with me and Jesus Ferreira, after the game, after the rewatch, uh, whenever you watch the game a second time, you get to see the impact that Jesus Ferreira has on the game off the ball. And I thought that there were a lot of moments last night uh, where he really came up big and created some opportunities for the U.S. The first thing, and I think this is the first thing that we should talk about when discussing any player for the U.S. and how they fit into this national team, was his pressing. 
and his pressing was absolutely tremendous. Uh, the press starts with the furthest player forward. The furthest player forward is the forward, and Jesus Ferreira in that first few minutes of the game was all over the place. I mean, he put defenders under pressure. He won some balls off the keeper sometimes there. I mean, he was all over the place in his press, and it allowed the U.S. to win the ball back in some advantageous positions and create a lot of pressure on Morocco early on in the game. Now, offensively, the big thing with Jesus Ferreira is always going to be his movement and his ability to drop in. And we saw that impact the game a number of ways. I think most notably is going to be on the Pulisic goal where Jesus Ferreira kind of checked back into space. He pulled that, that, uh, let's say, left-sided center back out with him. And that gave the pocket of space for Christian Pulisic to run into uh, that allowed Walker Zimmerman to ping the ball over the top and create that goal. Now, I know that's, that's saying a lot, putting that goal giving some of that reward to for Jesus Ferreira, but I think that's exactly how it was drawn up, and I think that's how soccer works. Uh, I, I think that this is absolutely a tactical thing where Jesus Ferreira comes out, pulls that, pulls that center back out, and Christian Pulisic runs in behind. But as far as direct contributions to the attack, I mean, there was that moment early on where Jesus Ferreira got a bouncing ball, cradled it down really nicely, and put a really nice hard shot on goal. Uh, a, a shot that I think goes in sometimes, but I think that the, the Moroccan keeper outside of that Tim Way goal I mean he's a strong keeper he's a keeper for Sevilla he's one of the better keepers in Spain uh, he's he's a very good keeper and I think he made um, he made some really nice saves throughout the night and that was a good one on Ferreira uh, the, the next one would be whenever Ferreira got slipped in right before halftime uh, I thought he had another really nice hard shot on goal uh, and, and on another night that goes in uh, so those are two goal scoring opportunities for uh, Jesus Ferreira, which is a good thing because throughout World Cup qualifying, we saw that our strikers were not producing dangerous goal scoring uh, opportunities. And this is against a very good team and a very good defense uh, in Morocco. But I think the last moment I want to point out, and this might be my biggest reach of the video, I understand that, but I just want to point out sort of how soccer works and how it can be a cruel game sometimes. And that was in the fourth minute uh, where Yunus Musa had the ball out wide. He actually had Jesus Ferreira making a run in behind but chose not to play it to him. Instead, he plays to Christian Pulisic at the top of the box. Now, in this moment, Christian Pulisic kind of fakes to the right and cuts back to the left. In that moment... He opted to shoot right there, and it was a good shot, and it was a hard shot on goal. And, I mean, how do you ask your all-world playmaker, uh, Captain America, Prince of Pennsylvania, Christian Pulisic, to not shoot right there? He was feeling it, uh, and, and he had a wonderful game. So taking nothing away from Christian Pulisic, this is a moment where had he played that ball out to Eunice Musa with the position that Jesus Ferreira was in, I mean, a nice square ball across the face of goal, Jesus Ferreira would have been in perfect position to put that away. That would have been one nothing for the USA early on. Uh, I, I felt like there was a few moments in this game where the U.S. kind of took some low percentage shots as opposed to making that next pass for a better percentage chance on goal. And this was absolutely one of them. Uh, so that's just one moment I wanted to point out for uh, Jesus Ferreira. That being said, I thought when Haji Wright came in, he was really great in a lot of different ways. His hold-up play was really strong. His runs in behind were very direct. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of camaraderie between Haji Wright and a lot of players on the team. Uh, very fun story with Haji Wright being the, the, the heralded youth player coming back to the national team. I'm excited to see more of Haji Wright throughout uh, these next three games. Uh, but that being said, I think Jesus Ferreira might have had a little bit better game than people are giving credit for. The fourth key that I want to point out here, 
uh, is something that pregame I said the U.S. was not going to be able to do, and boy, did they prove me wrong. And that was the buildup. I mean, the buildup from the back last night was absolutely tremendous. And it was with a bunch of guys that we thought really weren't capable of a great buildup. I mean, starting with Matt Turner, uh, Reggie Cannon, Walker Zimmerman, Aaron Long, Cameron Carter-Vickers, uh, Tyler Adams. Uh, maybe Eunice Moose is pretty solid at the buildup. But anyway, these guys combined for some really nice passing sequences you didn't really ever see them panicked and even though they did hit it long a time or two uh, they really were dedicated to solving problems and building out of the back I think this can be attributed to a number of different things uh, but the first thing I would really point to is the formation and the tactics it seemed like that three-man back line and having both Brennan Aronson and Christian Pulisic able to check back into space um, and just creating these different areas where defenders could find passes really allowed for back line that maybe isn't the greatest at like super great line breaking passes to always be able to find a safe option with the ball to move the ball out of the back now there were a few sequences that were especially tremendous uh i think the first one would be like uh haji wright's attempt on goal the sequence where christian Pulisic gets the ball plays it uh in behind for haji wright and haji wright uh has that attempt on goal another moment where maybe if haji wright slips the ball across for tim Weah, you have a uh, a certain goal there but anyway the build-up for that was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, stuff that you don't normally associate with the U.S. men's national team. Another one was the penalty sequence where Christian Pulisic ends up with that penalty. That was another sequence that the U.S. just kicked it around for a long period of time, and Morocco got really frustrated, and there wasn't much they can do about it. And then the last one, I think uh, the, the first two were really buildups that led to breaks. This one was a direct approach, and that was the sequence that led to Walker Zimmerman hitting that ball over the top uh, to Christian Pulisic for Brendan Aaron's subsequent goal. This was a sequence where the U.S. was able to kick it around and, and, and move the ball so well and so quickly that Morocco eventually just kind of dropped back and, and gave him space uh, because they were tired of chasing the ball around. And when given that space, Walker Zimmerman was able to find that pass over the top. Just phenomenal. I think this leads me into the last key of the game, and I got to give credit where it's do here, I mean, Greg Berhalter, that was a tremendous effort. Uh, I, I think the tactics that he showed uh, in that game last night were phenomenal. I mean, seeing this national team, a team that ha- is full of young players, a team with players that don't have a ton of experience together and are still kind of growing in unison, still trying to build internal chemistry, uh, to see them go out there with this dynamic shape and to be on the same page and, and to really undo a, a, a veteran quality, experienced side, a side that has won a lot of games like the Moroccan national team was really impressive. Uh, I thought the U.S. really hit on all cylinders last night. Uh, the the players were in great positions, and, and tactically, the U.S. really undid the Moroccans. Uh, and, and I think a lot of that credit has to go to Greg Berhalter. I know that he's been very much maligned as a coach. I know that I've taken my shots at him in the past, but give credit where it's due. That was a tremendous effort. And, and I think part and parcel with that uh, has to be the morale of the squad and the chemistry uh, of the squad. I mean, you see that moment where uh, the U.S. gets a penalty and everybody in the world assumes, is assuming that Christian Pulisic is going to take the penalty. He hands the ball to Haji Wright because he wants Haji Wright to have that moment. Uh, the, the selflessness, the friendship, you see the, the bonds that are on this team. The vibes are good as they say, and I think a lot of that has to be uh, credited to Greg Berhalter and the uh, the atmosphere that he's 
he's orchestrated within this U.S. men's national team. It's very good to see, and it allows fans like myself to be really optimistic as to what this team can accomplish moving forward in a World Cup where they're going to be one of the very youngest teams uh, in the mix, and they're going to be one of the less experienced teams, not just uh, with uh, overall experience, but also with experience together as a unit. Uh, To see what Greg has done with this squad has been really impressive, so I've got to give credit where it's due uh, in this game. So those were my five keys to victory for the U.S. is three to nothing. Just absolute mauling of Morocco. It feels so nice to say. It feels good on the tongue i'm curious what you guys have to say let me know in the comment section was i reaching on the jesus ferreira thing i feel like i might have been reaching a little bit that's okay whatever i'm a fan how do you see this team playing whenever it's at absolute full strength were you surprised by any of the performances in a good way in a bad way let me know thank you guys for helping me get to 10,000 subscribers i mean that's absolutely unbelievable uh thank you guys for helping the launch of since 76 be uh so successful on the marketing side i mean the the video on twitter got like it's like at 15,000 views or something like that. It's unbelievable. And a lot of people have already signed up for the mailing list. So I'm really excited about this. You guys will be able to get this shirt uh, starting June 5th. There should be a link in the description to since76apparel.com and you can kind of check it out right there. Sign up for the mailing list. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff to kind of see what's going to be next, what's going to be the next release. Uh, So I'm really excited about that. Uh, If you guys want the Yank Report in podcast form, you can find it anywhere podcasts are podcasted thanks to the Believe Podcast Network. Si puede hablar espanol, dígame un comentario en espanol. Thank you to my tier two members, uh, Manuel Adivetis, Mike Irish, Chris Matassa, and Matthew Doyle. Shout out to Matthew Hanna for coming back into the mix on the membership side. And thank you for that beer, man. I really appreciate it. Guys, thank you so much for watching. My name is Sam, and this is the Yank Report brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.